So uh, we are moving, our, we're progressing. I just wanted to kind of uh, recap this slightly, but this is recovery. We've already been there, done that, right? Uh, recovery is just picking up the pieces, uh, what we were given, uh, what we had left. Uh, we decided on the things that we wanted to keep, and we decided to throw the things away that needed to be the thrown away. Um, and spiritually speaking, that is what we walked through. Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit just helped us try to decipher as a church, because our mission this year is to recover his mission. That's our desire. And so we, we have been given, you know, all this craziness of last year, and we have picked up the pieces, we've thrown away what we need to throw away. We've been here. This is renovation, and this is what we have been about here just not too long ago. Uh, we decided that we would do something physical, you know, like renovate the church building. Um, and so we've been actively involved in that, and that has been so encouraging. I hope it's encouraged you because it's really encouraged me uh, just working together with our hands for a purpose, and that is just uh, helping this building uh, along uh, so that it can be used for ministry for many years to come, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, right? Uh, But in the midst of doing this with our, our physical hands, we have been walking through the Bible, just looking at people as, as we uh, been focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the, the qualities that He wants to develop in our lives. And so we went to the Old Testament and walked through these people's lives and just learned from them, gleaned from them, you know, and how to apply uh, these, uh, this fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics of the Spirit in our lives. And so we've been, we've been there. We have uh, done some renovation, hopefully, you know, by allowing the Spirit just access and permission to have full access to us and to develop, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of these things. And now, last week we just started right here. This is reconnect. Uh, It's really important now that we have moved up to this point uh, for us just to reconnect. And God, I just really feel like God has just been such a participant uh, in the midst of all of this. I really believe that this was all his you know, leading uh, us, me, uh, through, you know, just coming up with this theme. Um, but we had no idea when we were over here if we were even going to have the ability to do this reconnect, right? I mean, I had, a, I had a hope that we would have, you know, back in January that we would have some of this under, you know, control and things of that sort. Uh, I, had a, I had a hope of what I could, thought I might be able to see come this time, but I didn't know. But here we are, setting together uh, without masks, ready to reconnect. And last week, our first week, uh, we talked about a church as a place to belong. And then we went home, came right back, and we had an amazing time. I mean, I, I was I was, wasn't you encouraged by the turnout we had last week? It was so encouraging. I think we had as many people come back for our Reconnect event uh, as we had in church last Sunday. And I just thought that was awesome, sitting around tables, eating together, coming in here, worshiping together, remembering what a great country uh, we do get to be a part of, going outside eating homemade ice cream. Man, was that good. And, and just the games and watching the kids. I love seeing all the kids. 
uh, in our church and participating and in the fireworks and all. But it was a great time, uh, our, our first big event of reconnecting, and, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, but we talked about church as a place to belong. This week I want to talk to us about that, that church is also a place for companionship. Uh, the the uh, church word for that is fellowship. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place to interact, you know, and to share life with. Um, and uh, I wanted us to go, here's our scripture for today is Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. I've always loved this scripture because there's times that it really uh, was my motivation for doing something that I know I ought to do. And then there's times that it's just my encouragement because I'm doing what I know I ought to do. Um, But I love this verse. It's always meant a lot to me through the years. Um, But he says here in Hebrews 10, verse 24, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So I read about these two deputies that was in kind of a somewhat of a high pursuit chase uh, there in Plain City, Utah. This was back in uh, July 26, 2009, but they were in hot pursuit of this Dodge Intrepid being driven by a seven-year-old boy. Can you imagine? I mean, they were trying their best to get this kid to pull over. They didn't even realize that it was a kid. They didn't, couldn't even really see him, right? Uh, but they were in hot pursuit of him. This kid, he finally drives like many blocks away. He gets up to like 45 miles an hour in just kind of a residential area. He eventually pulls into his own driveway, jumps out. This seven-year-old boy jumps out of his car and runs into the house. And if you can imagine the eyes of these police officers when they see this little boy jumping out of this car, and they go up, and his dad is like, what in the world? What was you even thinking? Uh, Preston was his name. What were you even thinking, Preston? He says, well, I, all I know is I didn't want to go to church. <laughs> That's why he decided to get in the car and leave that day. Uh, is because he didn't want to go to church. Now, I don't have a clue about his church. Maybe I would have done the same thing. But, but I'm thinking that that was just an over-exaggeration by a seven-year-old, don't you? Because I don't know. I, I don't want to avoid church. I have no desire to run away from our church. I, I, I love our church. I look forward to church. I look forward to hanging out with you all. And just as a reminder, if we were to run from church, we're not running from a building. We're running from people. Because the church is people. You're the church, right? We could have church and we could be in a park right now. We could have church and we could be all camping right now. But church is people. And what church is, is it's people coming together. It's an assembly. That's what the Bible tries to tell us. It's, a, it's an assembly. It's a fellowship. It's a gathering 
of his children in one place doing church. And I love church. Church, church is not a, a, only a place to belong. Church is a, a place for fellowship, companionship. It's, it's a place of sharing our experiences of how God is moving in our lives, how he is moving, you know, just in, in the things around us. We are reminded constantly that, that uh, we believe that God is in everything that we do. He's in our work. He's, he's in our family. He's in everything. And so we come here to remind each other how he is working. And we remind each other how, why we are connected. We're connected because of what Jesus has done. He's the one who has created us. Church didn't exist before Jesus. It's not like Jesus showed up and says, yeah, I think that was a good idea. We'll continue that. Jesus showed up and says, we're going to start church is what we're going to do. I'm going to lay down my life for the church and for them to be able to assemble and to gather. So the first thing I want you to see is just look at with, with me for a moment, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25, he says, Not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what the Bible is talking about here is church attendance. That's what he's talking about, Right? I mean, he's talking about the assembly. Don't give up the assembly of coming together as some are in the habit of doing. And that's another thing is, is the assembly is, it's a gathering, but it's a gathering at a specific time, right? The New Testament tells us they met on the first day of the week. That's when they chose to have this assembly uh, uh, and gathering. I think the cowboy churches, most of them that I know, they meet on Monday. I don't know that I have a problem with that. If I, if I do, it's because I don't know that I should. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with the church gathering on Monday. I think it would be fine if we wanted to move to Wednesday. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to figure this out. But the reason that we do Sunday is because the first church, that's when they gathered. And so we just pattern ourselves after them, but I don't think that it's a, it's a, a, a you know, like, like it was commanded by God on what day, but there is, but the whole point is, is that there is a day, right, that the church gathers. So two sisters were playing together. Uh, they were just young, one eight-year-old and one five-year-old, and these two sisters, Carrie and and Anna were playing together, and Carrie, the older sister, wanted to move the playing um, uh, uh, idea or whatever to playing school. She wanted to pretend they were in school. Well, you know, Anna had enough of school as a five-year-old already. She wasn't interested in playing school. She wanted to play, you know, a house or something else. I don't know, but but she didn't want to. But the sister just, you know, this eight-year-old Carrie just kept pestering Anna and kept pestering. So Anna says, fine, we'll play school. She said, okay. She's, and Anna says, just mark me absent. <laughs> thought that was pretty brilliant for a five-year-old. But unfortunately, you know, that's, that's the attitude that so many people have, have had of the church of late. I didn't even understand this. I heard it, and, and I just... For a while, I didn't really know what they were talking about. But the, the culture of nuns, you know, like the, 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 that we've 
come into an area of that there's a whole lot of religious nuns. And it's not N-U-N, it's N-O-N-E. In other words, there's, there's this movement in our society right now in the United States that people haven't quit believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They haven't quit believing in God. They just have decided that they just don't want church. That's it. And so they are a, they are a religious group of none. None church. No church. Here's a, here's a, um, a, a uh, what is that, chart. That's what that is. Uh, a chart that I came across, and, and it's, it's just kind of interesting to me because this goes back, you know, uh, many years. And this is like the uh, membership, like the, the percentage of how many people who claim to be followers, uh, well, religious people, not just followers of Jesus, but religious people who who uh, were actively going to an assembly, all right? Whether it's in church, which is mostly, or a synagogue or, you know, or something that's, or a mosque. But 73% back, you know, before 1940, 1945, uh, 76%. I became a Christian in um, 89. And so I'm, it was hitting about 68% of people, you know, that claim to be um, believers or is going to church. What's terribly discouraging is look what happened around 2000. We were just, we began this steep decline. We're now down to 47% of people who have a religious belief, you know, but only 43 or 47% of them go to church, to an assembly. This is, should be alarming. This is why so many small churches are closing. If you're not aware of this, you will think, well, aren't we doing okay? Because I know so many of these really big churches, mega churches, uh, they're not helping because we're still declining. But also what is happening is that we're just, we're just uh, swapping sheep pens, right? We're just moving out of the little churches, going to one that's more entertaining uh, for us and, and one we like better. But evidently the entertaining still isn't even keeping people because people are just dropping off. This should be alarming to us, I think. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 speaks of church as being a place of fellowship. And I want to talk to you about that for just a minute. It's, it's, a, it's the place. Uh, just focus on that. Well, I mean, what he says here is he says, uh, not neglecting to meet together. Now, if he's talking about not neglecting meeting Together, He's talking about coming together, therefore coming to a place. And again, it's not like this church, this building, is what's important. What's important is this right here, these people, you all right here, coming together. Coming together in a, in a particular spot. We can change the spot, 
But what we shouldn't change is the coming together, right? Because that's what makes us the church. So what he's saying here is don't neglect that. Don't neglect coming together. So the whole point is, is that the place is important. And for us, because we have chosen that this is our place, we have to see that this is important right here, this place. For us, Westside Christian Church people, this is our place. That's what we, unless we designate some other place, this is it. This is where we come together. And it would be really a shame if we neglect that. You know, someone that says, why? I can worship down at the lake. And that is so true, isn't it? We can worship at the lake. We can worship at Walmart if we want to. We can worship anywhere we want. And any of that I would encourage, and I think it is great, Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday morning, this is where we worship. Because this is where we decided. As Westside Christian Church people, this is where we decided to worship. Now, you you can go to the lake and worship on Sunday morning, but I'm just... What I'm trying to say is that you would be doing that intentionally neglecting what the Bible has called us to do. Because the Bible has called us on Sunday morning, unless we change the day, unless we change the location, Sunday morning we come together as church. And why, why is that? Well, the biggest and the quickest way to answer that why is just this, because it's not about you. See, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about Jesus, is it not? Is that not why we come? And so if it's about Jesus, he gets to decide how he wants it to operate. We believe that this is his word. Don't we call it his infallible word, his His divine word that was spoken through the Holy Spirit through these people, but it's God's word. When we open it up, don't we claim that it is? And it's his word that's said in this. It's his word that determines this. And it's not about us. That's that's something we got to remember. When we are at the lake worshiping, right, then we miss the, the whole point of gathering. Because when you're at the lake worshiping, it's just you. And if you're a part of 100 people, we're going to say we're 100 people, right? Awful close. If, we're, if you're a group, you belong to a church of 100, you're one of 100. And if you're at the lake, then what you're literally saying is me, the 1%, is more important than the 99. Because you have to, you have to understand that you, you coming is it's not just about you. When you come, it is, it, you, you hopefully walk away with something that God has wanted you to have when you come. Like something he wants to say to you. Something he wants to communicate to you. Maybe he just wants you to feel his presence as you assemble together. But he has something in store for you. And if you come, you will be rewarded. You will be given something, I think. Nobody walks away void. But that's only a fraction of why you should come. The other big part of it is the other 99%. 
right? It's not only what you get, it's, it's also what you give. And it's also what God gets. And that's the biggest thing of it, right? Is that when we come together and we are singing these songs and, and we are listening to the word being preached and, and we are interacting with one another, don't you know that who actually gets the glory for that gathering is God. He's the one who is pleased with the gathering. And when we decide not to be here, he's the one who also gets robbed a little bit. Even if it's just 1%, like one of you that is absent on purpose, right? You, did, you still rob God of his glory. You still rob God of what he deserves. Because this ultimately is really about him. It's not even about any of us. And he tells us to, to gather. You know, a, an elderly lady, <laughs> she was amazed how nice this young man, his name's Andrew. He, he, every day he would just help her gather her things, you know, and help her with her yard work. And he would just do things for her. And she was just so impressed with this young man, just willing to do these things. And so one day she, she just asked him, um, Andrew, how, how did you become such a fine young man? And Andrew, this is his reply. He says, well, I have to tell you, when I was a boy, I had a drug problem. And she was just like floored by that, right? She just can't believe this. This super kind, good kid had a drug problem. So she just couldn't help herself. She's like, you're going to have to explain it, Andrew. You, I can't believe that you had a drug problem. He says, yeah. He says, when I was young, my parents drug me to church on Sunday morning, drug me to church on Sunday night, and drug me to church on Wednesday night. He had a drug problem. You know, my kids, I'm pretty sure, if we were to keep track of this, and, and we haven't, I'm pretty sure that they would probably be leading our church right now in attendance. And maybe I'm wrong. But we've been here longer, I've been here longer than any other preacher by quite a few years. And so most of them came here as little babies, or little bitty ones. And I think we could count on a couple hands how many times they missed. Did they have a choice? Zero choice. You know, I mean, it's just the, the preacher's life, right? I mean, you're, my kids, other preachers' kids, they don't have a choice whether they come or not. But, you know, the interesting thing, and I, I'm just assuming that most preachers have this exact same experience, okay? Matthew, you can ask him if he had this same experience here after church. But uh, be my guest, they probably had the same experience. My kids, as, as often as they are in church, I've, I've never heard them, like, throw a fit. I mean, they, they don't scream and holler and say, I'm not going. They don't get in cars and drive away, you know, at seven years old. They just don't behave this way. I, I, I have to tell you, I did. <laughs> I can say that now since they're old enough to know uh, what I'm saying. I would be being hesitant to say, but, but they just never had a choice. They go to church. When the church is open, 
for the assembly on Sunday morning for sure. Some of the others they have missed for other reasons, but Sunday morning, if they were in my household, they'd have to be sick or going to another church assembly. And that's happened a few times. But just to skip, it's never happened that I know of. I don't know. Now, this, this is the part. I don't know if that's going to pay off or not. See, what I don't know is I don't know if my kids will continue that or not. Right? None of us do. None of us have a crystal ball. And sometimes, and I guarantee we, you can find preachers that have not such good you know, track records with all their kids or maybe one of their kids or, or who knows. But I'm hoping it'll pay off. You know, I'm hoping that they'll continue it. And so far, they're doing pretty good. You know, Micah, you know, he's engaged. He's going to get married August the 12th out in North Carolina. I'm super excited about their plans and, and everything about it. You know, I, I'm so, so proud of Micah to make sure that these things are in line the way that they ought to be and moving forward and stuff. But the first, when we first found this out, and it was all kind of like, here we go, you know. I mean, it was a plan and proposal and a date all within like a week and a half. Um, and the date is not like it's a long ways off, August 12th, right? And so all this is just moving really fast. Um, but as soon as his mom found out about this, that they're moving to North Carolina and where, guess what she did? This is what moms do right? Uh, she started Googling every church within, like, that little area. Started, look, like, researching. Oh, the, this one's got this, this one's got this. What do they teach? You know what they believe? Uh, you know, everything about it. And then she sends out this research list to Micah. So here's some churches that I found. Just wanted to let you know, you know how moms are trying to, I'm not trying to intrude or anything, but they are trying to intrude, right? Uh, and and here's what I found, and here's the one that I, it's kind of like the one your dad preaches at, but here's one I think that you would like. Now, I don't know how I'm supposed to take that, right? <laughs> but, uh, but so it is what it is. But um, anyway, and so she sends this. And, now, and then she began to worry, you think that I stepped over or I said too much? You know how that is. Uh, and Micah reassured her that he didn't, or she didn't, and that he'd already thought about the one, you know, that she thought he would like, and that's where they're planning on attending. But because Lori, all of her life, she's a PK kid, all of her life was in church, and all of her life believed that this assembly is important, and all of her life she has not neglected it, and she doesn't want her kids to either, and so she's just trying to pass the baton of desire for this. But the reality is, is we don't know because because they get to make those choices. Just like you get to make that choice. That's what the Hebrew writer is, is encouraging. He's encouraging this because he knows that you get to decide what you're going to do with this. But he's wanting you to know that God's people, people who are followers of Jesus, People who, are, who have confessed to make him Lord of their lives don't neglect the assembly, as some are in the habit of doing. 
And those people that he's talking about as in the habit of doing are people that are struggling being followers of Jesus. And he goes on and expresses this later. So I want you to see the place. The place is important. The place is here. We have a place, we have a time that we're called to not neglect. Here's the thing, second thing I want you to see here, and that is the priority, the priority of fellowship. You see what it says in verse, the second part of verse 25. It says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, church, what is he talking about? What day was drawing near to them? Second coming, right? The return of Jesus. Am I right? Yeah. They, they, they were supposed to make this a priority in their life because Jesus is coming back. Boy, did they have that off for a few thousand years, right? You think that now, that if they would have known what we know now, like, guys, relax. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. You think that he would have rewrote this and changed it? Not at all. Remember who the author really is. It's God himself that is encouraging this Hebrew writer to write exactly that. Because he would want every generation. He wants every generation. Paul, in his day, thought Jesus was coming back. Peter thought Jesus was coming back. Every generation should think that Jesus is coming back. I hear some of you talking like this, that I think Jesus, I think the end is near because you're reading the signs, right? And I think that's healthy. I don't think that you're ever going to figure it out. You're never going to figure out the day or the time or, or anything, but I think it's super healthy that you process that the time is near. It's approaching. Why? Because it helps us put priority on things. If you thought that you had one week to live, I have, a, I, I have this ability to just know that your priorities would change. What you find important would change. I'm pretty sure moving up the ladder at work would not really be that significant to you since you have a, a week I'm pretty sure, you know, the house remodeling would not be that important to you. I'm pretty sure that people would be important to you. I'm pretty sure God would be important to you. I'm pretty sure this assembly would be important to you. You see what I'm saying? There's just priorities, and that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to help put priorities on it. He's trying to help you live like you have a week. Live like it's around the corner, actually live like it might be today. And it would just help with our priorities, understanding that when we come here, there's priorities. Jesus is first in my life. No ifs, ands, and buts. I don't want him to ever second guess that. He would know anyway, right? But we live like we don't, we don't want him to misunderstand my heart, misunderstand my intentions. God, you are number one in my life. And the best way to show that is through action. So therefore, I go to church because it's a priority. And that's what he's trying to help us with on this. 
And it's all driven by the coming of our Lord. If he came today, we would be so thankful where we are. Not that it fixes everything. Not that it is our ticket in. He's our ticket. I get that. But we would be glad that we made the decision we made. This is how we should operate every Sunday. This is how we should understand. You know, an English poet, Samuel Coleridge, uh, talked with a man who didn't believe that uh, children should be, be given any religious instruction at all. It, it, says, it says that the man claimed that children's minds should not be prejudiced in any direction. When they become older, they should be permitted then to choose whatever they want. If they want religious influence in their life, then they can have it. But until then, they should not be pressured at all. So Col- Coleridge said nothing. But after a while, he asked the visitor if he would like to go out and see his garden. And he was, yeah, he was all for that. And so they went out to see his garden. When they got out there, this, they had this, this beautiful area, you know, this, this retaining wall around a garden spot. But it had no flowers. It was nothing but weeds. And the guy just looked at him strangely, and he's just like, this isn't a flower garden. There's no flowers here. And Coleridge then says, well, you see, I I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden the chance to express itself and to choose its own production. You know, this this is why we get so frustrated in our culture, because there just seems to be such... Ignorance when it comes to, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, there, no logic. There's logic about the things that we want to do, but, I mean, it's just like sometimes, uh, it, why is this so hard? And this is what the Hebrew writer is trying to bring perspective on, bring priority on, is if you understood, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, And we believe that he could come back any moment, and that's how we're living our lives. Then it's not that difficult knowing where we would want to be on Sunday morning at 1030. Right? Do you want to prepare for Jesus' second coming? Then live like his first coming mattered. You know, there's a parable that Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, and it's a parable of a nobleman that is going away to be a king. And, and, uh, and as he goes away, he entrusts like these coins to some of his servants. And, they were, and he was just told, I'm going to be away for a while, but eventually I'm going to come back. And he doesn't tell them when he's coming back because it's not like they have cell phones or any of that kind of stuff. He just comes back. But they didn't know when he was going to come back. And it was a while. We're talking years, right? But he gave them these coins, and he told them to invest these coins on his behalf for his, his purpose. And uh, so when, when he does come back, he finds that two of his servants, you know, did well. They, like, doubled what they were given and trusted to them. But there was one servant that just wrapped it up in a cloth and just buried it, right? And he wasn't happy with that servant. And the whole point of what Jesus is getting across is is that that you have to prioritize his coming. Like you you've got to live like 
like your stewards, and that what you're and what you've been entrusted matters not to you, but matters to him, and that you are to to live a way that that um, always keeps that in mind. And that's why we're here on Sunday. It's because we're living like this matters to him. Like this is what would please him. This is what he's told us to do. If, if, we, if we quit assembling together or we just get in bad habits and we just begin to just be super inconsistent, it is communicating something to the king. So one day the Lord will come again. And, and when he does, we want him to, you know, say to us, well done. We know we're not perfect. We know that. But that's not why he would say well done, right? He would say well done because what I entrusted to you, you use for my glory. What I entrusted to you, you took it as a priority and you made it important in your life. Here's the third thing. It's the purpose of fellowship. So we have the place of fellowship, which is here, 1030. We have the priority, which is shown to us about from his second coming, that we make it a priority because he's our priority. And the last thing is it's the purpose of fellowship. There was a preacher. I, I assume this is true. I have no idea. But there was a preacher who was in Atlanta several years ago who noticed that there was a restaurant in the Yellow Pages. And the name of this, this restaurant is Church of God Grill. Church of God Grill. And he just couldn't, you know, he, he was a preacher. So he was just like, how do you come up with that name? Church of God Grill. And so he called them up. And, and, and when they answered, he, he just asked them. He says, I, I need to know why you call your restaurant Church of God Grill. And so the guy just said, well, it's not that hard. It's just that when we used to be a church, and, and there was a time that we decided that we were going to start making chicken and sell it on Sunday after church just to help with some of the bills. And so we began to sell chicken. People liked the chicken, but, but they didn't come to church. And so we began to just kind of cut back on our service time because the chicken became, you know, like we needed to make more chicken. Eventually, we just decided to close the church and make chicken. And we just kept the name Church of God Grill. I don't know if that's true. I need to do some research because it just got me thinking, I want to know if that's true. But what is it that happened? They lost their purpose. That's sometimes, that's sometimes what happens to us. And, and when that happens is usually, it's not because, it doesn't happen in the midst of us being regular attenders. I'm just saying. When you're usually, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying, usually when you are here, not neglecting the assembly, you are reminded of your purpose. You know, it's like it's, it's being put in there so often that you're reminded of it. But if you begin to spend more time at the lake or wherever, right, you begin to lose thought of what your purpose is. And it's so important for us not to lose. So this is our purpose. 
church. He doesn't leave it out. Verse 25, what does he say? Encouraging one another. Stirring up one another. Building up one another. That's our purpose. We, we come, I mean, it's more than that. I get it. You know, we come because we worship him. We sing praises to him. We listen to his word and things like that. But, but another major priority, I mean, major uh, purpose that we have is encouraging each other, stirring up one another. And there's something about that that has to be, that that actually is most effective when you're here. That's the only thing that really lacks with the online thing. So glad we have it. We're not going to stop it because there's a lot of reasons for it. We have so, such dear people in our family that can't be here right now, and they get to be here, you know, through this. There's no way that we're going to stop doing that. But for us to not be here when we can be here, just because it's more convenient somewhere. How do you encourage from where you are? How do you stir up? Now, I suppose if we got really, um, you know, creative, maybe we could make phone calls as soon as church is out and while people are walking, hey, I saw your head today. I just, I love that dress that you have on. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's ways that we could do that. Hey, so glad that you're in church. Sorry I wasn't. I mean, I don't know what you do. I'm just saying that it's more effective when you're here. You know what, Paul? Paul knew this. Our Sunday school lesson today was in, in Romans chapter 1. And Paul is writing to Rome, and he'd been wanting to go to Rome for so long, but as he explains, he... He, he just, God keeps putting things in his path that he can't get there. He realizes this is God's thing. I mean, God is the one doing it. He, he puts that on God. And he knows that God's timing is good. He just, he just assumes, that's what we talked about in Sunday school, he just assumes he's, he's making the harvest ready for when he comes because he talks like, when I get there, I will give you a spiritual blessing. When I get there, I will preach to you. He knows that when he gets there, he's going to be able to do something super significant in their presence. And he just thinks that the timing that God is preventing him from, that's the word he uses, preventing him from coming, has a purpose in it. But one of the things that is so important that I picked up on as I was studying that this week is this, for I long to see you and impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And so the whole point is, is that Paul knows that you can't, substitute face-to-face interaction for encouragement. Jeremiah knows that. Remember that girl that he met at camp? I thought she lived in Kansas City. She lives in Wichita. Not as far, but that's okay. Well, she was going to be a worker at the overnighter, and guess what he wanted to do? And so I drove him down there, got to meet, you know, her her dad and a couple of her siblings and just super sweet girl did a good job Jeremiah out of all those girls to pick you you did a good job but Jeremiah knew that FaceTime isn't the same as in-person time right 
And letters aren't the same as in-person time. As much as I love that we have online, it's not the same as this time. And we just have to understand that there is a purpose to this. And part of that major, major purpose is encouraging one another, just being in each other's presence, sharing each other's stories, walking through life together. Sometimes just a hug goes a long ways. Sometimes just a touch on the shoulder goes a long ways. Sometimes just a smile goes a long ways. Sometimes words, face-to-face words, go a long ways. And you just can't substitute that. This is, I just want to walk through this and then we're going to stop. But it says that the promise in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, this isn't up on the screen, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. Talking about the second coming, Right? which should be help us with our priority. But it's going to be a shout. And this is what he follows up with. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. That could be a terrifying thing, like not very encouraging to people that are not in the faith. But for people that are in the faith, it is, it is encouraging that we can remind each other that there is going to be a day like that. And we're supposed to encourage... What does he mean by encourage? Well, we'll get to that in a second. I want to read you another one. First Thessalonians 4, 18. I mean, 5, 2. So that one was 4, 16. But in 5, 2, it says that the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And that is followed with this exhortation. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Not like, hey, guys. He's going to come back. He's going to be like a thief in the night. He's going, to, he's going to surprise us. Aren't you encouraged? I would be like terrified. But, it, but there is something encouraging about that, right? Encouraging that in, in, in a sense that it motivates. Isn't that part of encouragement is bring motivation? Isn't that one of the reasons that we cheer people on is to motivate them to not give up? The Olympics are coming. You wait and see if those people aren't driven by encouragement from the audience, driven by encouragement from their coach along the sideline, driven by encouragement, you know, from, you know, just these kinds of things. To motivate one another, cheer one another on. And we have to be together to do this. You know, some of the most exciting ball games, I've always been involved in sports, but one of the most exciting ball games I've ever been involved in, most exciting ball games I've ever witnessed, whether it's my kids playing or on TV, are those where they're behind, and then it just seems like they get this sense that, hey, maybe this is possible. And what is it that they start doing, like, real emphatically? Encourage one another cheering one another. They, they, they put on, you know, their hats inside out, you know, thinking that anything and everything. They just, want to, they just want to create momentum from anything, right? And so they are just screaming and hollering and cheering. And when somebody does something kind of good, it's just like they just did the greatest thing in the world. And somehow that works most of the time. 
Every once in a while it doesn't, but somehow when you get, and a coach knows this, don't you know this, Doug? You try to get your team to do this because you just know if you can get your team to really do this wholeheartedly and not just because the coach said to you. That's like telling your son to apologize. I told you to, you know, and and they apologize, but they don't mean it. Now apologize like you mean it, you know what I mean? It's hard to get somebody, but when you know that they are doing this, how powerful it is. When we come together and we come from our homes with the intention of encouraging, I'm going to find the person who has the saddest look on their face and I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to tell them that, hey, isn't it awesome that we're here today? Isn't this cool that we get to be here? I'm so glad I got to see you. And when that is your mission, how powerful is that? That's our purpose, church, is to do that. I love our church. I love that we are, have this opportunity, and it is an opportunity. It's not a done deal. We have, to, we have to do our part, but we have this opportunity to reconnect in a new way, to really be reminded of our purpose, to really be reminded of our priority and what we're looking for, his coming, to remember our place. Sunday morning's taken by everybody else. I mean, it, letting everybody else know it's taken because it's, it's been already given to Jesus and his church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for making us what we are. We only are what you have created us to be. Apart from what you have done, we're just individuals. That's all we are. But with what you have done, we are family. With what you have done, we come together. We love one another. We are supportive of one another. We care about one another. And it's all because of what you've done, Father, through your son Jesus. God, we just pray that uh, you would help us just see the importance of this fellowship. May we... May we behave understanding that it makes you look so good when we choose to be here. It worships you better than any other place that we could worship you when we choose to assemble with your children. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.